I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. Welcome to my podcast where I invite you to join me each week as I shine a light on some of the very best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offer advice to those that want to make in the UK. But before we get on to today's episode, I just want to tell you about an event that I've got coming up. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers and British-made brands from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. Taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London, we've got over 200 exhibitors inspiring talks just like the ones on this podcast and it's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive. Registration is now open and if you go to mib.live forward slash podcast VIP I've got a special something for you when you register. I hope to see you there and now let's get on with the show. welcome to episode 51 of the Make It British podcast. Now, if you listened to the previous episode, episode 50, I talked about what constituted an ethical or sustainable manufacturer. And on today's show, I've got an interview with one. His name is Adam Robertson. And along with his wife, Nina Falk, he set up a business called Colopsia Collective a few years ago, doing small batch production for designers. Their company is also set up as a social enterprise. And in this interview, he explains why he did that and what else he does to help his customers produce ethically in the UK. If you enjoy this episode with Adam, he's also going to be one of the exhibitors at our Make It British Live event. And I've also invited him to be on a panel discussion, which we're going to be holding on Thursday, the 30th of May, which is going to be all about making ethically in the UK and small batch production. So if you want to come along and pick his brains, then make sure you're there on Thursday, the 30th of May. And that's 2019 if you're listening to this in the past. So come along to the show, meet Adam, find out more about the manufacturing that he does. And I hope you enjoy this interview today. Hello, Adam. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, yeah, it's no problem at all. So shall we start by um, telling everyone what Colopsia, what Colopsia Collective is and what you do and what you make? Great. So, yeah, we're, we're a uh, batch manufacturer. So we specialise in, in short runs, uh, primarily of accessory bags and some women's clothing as well. Uh, we set everything up, our whole models based around trying to make things as, as sort of simple and uh, easy to get through as possible. So if you go on our website, there's full catalogues of everything we can uh, we can produce and you kind of just pick what you want and send us the fabric. So fingers crossed it's uh, nice and painless. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I actually had a good look at your website this morning. It's oh, really good. clear Thank for you. anyone that's starting out because you work with a lot of startups don't you and small businesses who both quite often don't have experience of manufacturing and I think your website is really clear which lots of manufacturers aren't to explain what you actually do completely well I mean that's one of the things we found it it was so difficult to get basic products made and we just couldn't figure out why it should be that way especially for you know things like small makeup bags and cushion covers and even some of the basic apparel I mean it 
you know, in any other industry, you'd go on a website and just pick what you wanted and have it delivered. And, and it would just seem crazy that we, we couldn't do something similar uh, within sort of fashion and textile. So we've been trying to chip away at how we could we could do that. And for the small businesses, it's fantastic. But even for, for some of the larger companies we work with, it just that ease of use is, is such an important thing. I mean, they're, they're off working on so many things. If they know for their base products, they can just click a few buttons and send off the fabric and that's it done. It kind of it completely changes their kind of working relationship with us. So how did you get into this in the first place? You sound to me like you've come from a design background because you knew what the challenges were and therefore you've flipped it round and provided that service. Is that right? Well, that's exactly it. I, I trained as a print a printmaker myself and, and then trying to come out of sort of university, what was that, like nine years ago now, trying to set up your own brand and all that sort of stuff and trying to get anything made was so difficult. Uh, and so time-consuming and so laborious. Uh, me and me and my business partner, whose background's more in the, the making side, she trained as a fashion tailor in, in Sweden. Um, we just uh, we just started trying to look at models and different ways of doing things that made it just a, a tiny bit <laughs> easier, really. Yeah, exactly. So you started off. I mean, who were the first clients that you took on? What sorts of businesses were they? People that you knew from college as a printmaker. It was it was actually through uh, Bfab B Creative, who are one of the other exhibitors. At, at, yeah, they uh, are. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we were running sort of exhibitions and, and gallery shows and things with sort of textiles, design, and art. And uh, they kind of just turned up one day and went, "Look, we've got a few people who need bits and pieces made. Could you could you sort of help us out with that?" And we kind of said, "Yeah, all right." And then it kind of just grew from there. So our first clients were all kind of printers and people that come through through them. But it's kind of it's grown so so sort of uh, the the client range now is so so varied and so so large we have a lot of knitters and a lot of weavers as well and that, that they think they find it even more difficult than the printers sometimes to get to get product made from from the fabric so what sort of fa- what sort of things would you be making from knitted fabric for instance well we, we make a lot of makeup bags surprisingly uh, and all sorts of little project bags and things like that there's for for people like woolly originals who's a fantastic um hand machine knitter um, that, that does all sorts of project bags for, for knitters uh, and we just exactly the same process as we'd normally go through uh, we didn't think it was possible <laughs> but we gave it a go and uh, yeah they, they come out really really well they're incredibly hard wearing they're, they're fantastic uh, but it's so, all exactly the same as the normal stuff so for that talk me through the process then so for anyone sure. that is listening in who yes. is uh, who does want some small batch manufacturing done they might be yeah. a weaver or a printer or a knitter Sure, and sure. they don't know where to start. How does it all work? Well, with us, it, it's nice and simple. You go on a website and you'll see all the product shapes, the base shapes that we can do. Uh, if you want to just go exactly for one of those shapes, you can order through the website. All you need to do is pick the shapes you want, place the order. You get to pick you know, your, your zip colors and your lining colors, things like that. Um, and then place the order, send us the fabric. The website will help you calculate exactly how much you need to send us send us the fabric, um, uh, pay for the order, and what you get back is the finished product in those fabrics all ready to go. So all you've had to do is place an order and send the fabric. That's all you need to do. Brilliant. And then for you as a manufacturer, that makes that easy as well because you're not having to reinvent the wheel every time. Well, that was the thing. And when we started out, when we were also doing sort of lots of custom work as well, you lose all that learning. You know, if you're only ever making, it could be even as you know, short run of five of something, you spend all that time figuring out how to do it. And then that knowledge kind of just stops and never gets used again. Uh, And this way we're making, you know, at least very similar products all the time. So Every time we make them, they're getting better. The quality is getting better. The time it takes us to, to make them is getting shorter. And it just means kind of everyone's feeding into that, that system. So everyone's getting a better product for us at the same time, which is quite, quite nice, really, to see it evolve. So how many people work for you now? How many people are involved in Colopsia Collective? 
Uh, so there's five of us at the moment. It's soon going to be six. Uh, we're, we're Brilliant. In the, in the, which is fantastic. We're in the process, hopefully, this year of expanding quite quite rapidly. So uh, hopefully that's going to be our, our full first three full-time members of staff and then the, the three directors as well. So that, that's going to be really exciting. We're hoping we can expand quite rapidly, fingers crossed, because there, there definitely is the need for these sorts of services. We need more of them desperately. Yeah, without without a doubt. I mean, I bet you're really busy at the moment, aren't you? Oh, completely. I mean, we used to have kind of a, a dip at this time of year where we got a bit quieter and that's just kind of disappeared now and we're just flat out constantly which is is amazing it just shows that there, there are other people out there that need this and we need to be supporting those people through this process and you're also set up as a social enterprise aren't you yes. so what was the reason behind doing that was that because your customers were asking you um because they wanted to be able to say that their products were made in a sustainable way it was it was kind of it was a mixture of different things really i mean i think we we wanted to have some sort of stamp that proved that what we were doing was as ethical and sustainable um, as we say it is. Uh, mm-hmm. And at the time, it was really before sort of B Corps and all that sort of stuff exploded. So we were trying to find any sort of legislation or, or ruling that kind of assured that. And the social enterprise status seemed to be the best way of, you know, saying that we're, we're trying to do our best with the waste and all our staff are treated as fairly as they should be and all that sort of stuff. So it kind of that was kind of why we did it. And I guess I, I grew up in Leicester. Um, so yeah, I didn't think you because of the Colopsia. <laughs> where are Colopsia based exactly? So, so Colopsia are based in Edinburgh. So we're based in yes. Middle East, just north of the city, which again is kind of an ex-industrial yeah. area. Uh, and my, my family's from Glasgow originally. So there's, again, uh-huh. an ex-industrial element there. So, and again, growing up in Leicester in the sort of, you know, uh, early 90s, it was that thing of living kind of in, in the, the kind of the tail end, the kind of the death of, of, of all the, the textiles manufacturing that was there and seeing a lot of the bad decisions that were made by, by some of the, the manufacturers. And yeah, and, and I just, we wanted to do things differently and we wanted to, to set ourselves out as, as, as doing that from the, the beginning and remove any temptation to ever do anything that wasn't um, in the best interest of, of, of the business and the people that we support. And having that social enterprise status kind of locks us into doing things the right way, if that makes sense. So how does a business get a social enterprise status? So if there's anyone who um, who's listening to this who wants to do something similar and set up their business or turn their business into a social enterprise, how do they go about doing that? It's actually not too bad, um, especially if you're already set up as a limited company by either shares or guarantee. You can become a social enterprise by simply applying to the KIC regulator. If you Google the CIC regulator. Uh, right, OK, I'll put the link in the show notes. Yes, yeah, it's it's not too bad as long as you are already doing the social enterprise bits, if that makes sense. Yeah, so of course. You have the social or the environmental parts of your business. The, that document just basically asks you to lay out why why that is what you're doing and justify that them giving you the status and then you just send off the application i think there's a you need to send a check for like 15 quid or something like that um, and they just review it and you either get it or you don't um, and then if uh, we're, we're still limited by shares so we're the most business orientated social enterprise you can be if that makes sense yeah yeah um, so we still file with with company's house and with hmrc so everything happens the same as normal the only difference is we, we submit a document every year just updating the, the kick regulator on what we're doing um, and that's kind of a, a settled you do need the potentially things like asset locks asset locks and constituting documents that just show all that stuff as well but it's all it's all fairly straightforward 
So for you as a textile business, what does constitute the parts that you do? I mean, you mentioned there about um, circular, you know, lack of waste and not mm. making waste. Exactly what are the things that you do to become a social enterprise? Like what are the, the, the features that you have sure. as a textile manufacturer? So, so the, the key three things are exactly that. It's that, that um, impact on the waste uh, and the, the, the research and the development stuff we're doing alongside that as well. It's the, the, the fair treatment of the staff, where, which, of course, is very important as well. Um, and the third is supporting a community. And in this respect, it's supporting small makers and small businesses because the rise in, I mean, it's something like 50% growth in small and micro business within textiles in the last few years, which is... Yeah, definitely, yeah amazing uh, and uh, so because we're supporting that community if you like it that then feeds into it as well um, and the employment and it's all the it's all those little bits and pieces but the key to are just treating people fairly and and, and uh, working on the waste which i think is is kind of at the core of, of a lot of uh, british manufacturers right now i mean it makes sense to, to do things that way i don't know it seems as well that a lot of that um a lot of the things to do with circular economy and lack of waste particularly seem to be happening in Scotland and Scottish textiles at the moment. Do you think, um, is there some sort of unfair advantage going on up in Scotland? <laughs> um, wow, it's, it's, that's a really interesting point. Uh, from what I've seen, there seems to be a lot more talk going on. There's a lot more businesses trying to do things. Up there are, yeah. I mean, there's a tan, there's the group of tanneries that... Um, Oh, gosh, I've forgotten the name now. I will put it in the show notes. Who are almost entirely carbon neutral up in I, Scotland? It's fantastic. Do you know the name of see. them? Oh, the is so that is that the, the your tongue as well? <laughs> yes, yes, because there's the big there's the big group of them that work together. I've I've met yes. one of the guys. <laughs> James Lang is the that's name of the, the guy girl. that runs yeah, it all. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, they're completely carbon neutral, and that's amazing. And it seems that Scotland's further ahead. Which yeah, is brilliant. I, I think it's and it's one of these weird things. And of course, I don't want to, um, as someone who's not Scottish, uh, <laughs> as such, to to, to um, speculate too much on this. But I think there's maybe there's a, there's a there's a different attitude up here to some of the businesses. And if you can uh, improve environmental impact and save money, then the saving money <laughs> bit certainly uh, helps with that as well. And I, I I don't know. I think it may possibly because we're a smaller community that there are less of us. Uh, it makes it easier for these kind of messages to kind of permeate that as well. And I, I know with the Zero Waste Scotland, there's been a big drive yeah. um, for stuff like this as well. But there is a big, there are big challenges with that, and there are big challenges with a lot of the government targets uh, on how textiles industry fits into that. And unless it's carbon related, it can be very difficult to to kind of tick the right boxes. Yeah. Uh, and, Have you uh, had any funding of any sort to set up the business or to to keep the business going or to improve what you're doing? Uh, we have yes, and it's almost right. solely been social enterprise money in one one sense or another. There's been very little from the from things like Creative Scotland, uh, from um, sorry Zero Waste Scotland or anything like that. Uh, it, but the, the social enterprise money is there, and if you're doing good things, it's fairly easy to get hold of. So it, I'd, I'd say that's a particularly good way way to go. A lot of it for us has been been loan funding, uh, which is fine. Again, um, we have tried a long time for the kind of grant route but grants are, there's less and less of them and they're yeah. incredibly difficult to get and often the list of stipulations you have to go through to, to, to get that money is just so so heavy you end up doing so much extra work for it whereas with the I've loan heard, yeah i've heard so many manufacturers say that 
it's just crazy. And, and when you, it's that thing of with a loan, you look at the application and the only stipulation is you pay it back. <laughs> and yeah. that's a lot more achievable to me than having to go through all the, the kind of the, the process of getting uh, grant money. Saying that, we have got a few bits and pieces. There's uh, an organization called the School for Social Entrepreneurs which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, ah. and, uh, they're very, very much worth getting involved with if you are a social enterprise, uh, especially if you're starting out. They, they do training courses and you get a grant to take part in the course, which is an amazing way of doing, doing things. Uh, so they're definitely worth uh, looking out for. And, and does that was, happen all over the UK, the School for Social Entrepreneurs, or is it online? It's, it happens all over the UK. Uh, the, I think the main, the main branch is in London and there's one in Liverpool as well. And I think there's at least another two in, in England. So there's only the one in Scotland. We're, we're definitely the smallest branch of it. It was set up by the guy who set up the Open University. Um, so it's oh, been going right, for quite okay. a long time as well. So it's well, well worth uh, looking up. But they, they are particularly good uh, and they have a very progressive um, a sort of view on what social enterprise is and what its sort of places within things like manufacturing and stuff like mm. that as well. Obviously being able to see who made your clothes and seeing the kind of labour behind the label and, yeah. and where something's being made is really becoming much more important now with things like the Fashion Revolution campaign. Yes. Um, and you're fantastic on your social media as well as oh, sh of showing behind the scenes and who's making the products. Do you um, openly invite your customers in and other sort of members of the public to be able to see where the product's being made at Colopsia? We do to an extent, yes. I mean, we have all of our meetings. Our office is, is next to the production space. So if you ever come in here, if you're ever lucky enough to be in Edinburgh, which is, is great in itself. I'm um, planning to come up very soon. So I'll definitely fantastic. come in and see you. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're quite happy to be as open as, as we can with that that sort of stuff. I think that's that's quite important. It's uh, we are. It's that one of those things. We're a very small space. And I think we do quite well on the social media of making it look a lot bigger than it actually. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, I'm quite surprised you said you only had five or six people. And that's just it's all optical illusion it is so when you get here it, it's, it's definitely a small space but but we're, yeah we're, we're more than happy to be very open and as, as honest and, and as clear as we can be with that i mean there's obviously challenges with um so a lot of fabrics we work with some of the clients um don't obviously want their stuff seen by by the people which of is course crazy. yeah uh, but we do, where possible, try, try and be as open as we can. We were actually on the uh, BBC Scotland News the other day being interviewed about the challenges with, with the, the Brexit and, and kind of uh, things. Oh, being, were you? Uh, sorry, oh, send yeah. me the link and I'll put yes. that as well in the show notes for the podcast. Because I also saw... You were a finalist in the Made in Scotland Awards. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just fantastic. So that's the second year running. Yeah, well done. Shortlisted. And it was just, it was amazing. We, we lost out last year, but that was to totally fine. The other two businesses <laughs> in the category, one was automotive and one, uh, they do stuff with space programs and putting things on satellites and, you know, all sorts of amazing things. To, so just to be in that category with people doing stuff of that calibre was just, was just fantastic. And then this year round, us and BFAB are both uh, shortlisted. Oh, so, so you're up against each other. Yeah, yeah, it's going to get, <laughs> it's going to be, a flat <laughs> it'll be fine. But it's just amazing to see the, I think the shift in mindset there again, that two small scale textiles businesses are, and the finalist for manufacturer of the year in Scotland is just there's definitely things things are changing they're, they're, they're definitely moving in the right direction yeah brilliant so um when you say you're you know a small batch manufacturer yes how small is that so we've obviously talked about five people but when it comes to quantities when people are ordering do you do things as small as kind of one 
an item of one or is there a what are the minimums for people so with, with most of the products on the website with the exception of two i think we can go down to one unit if you want that and we can go up to 500 of each per month so okay so there's quite a lot of um, leeway in that. What we'd rather people do is if, of course, and the, the other side of that is the more you order, the cheaper they'll get per unit, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but what we'd rather people do is, especially if they're, they're starting out, it's a new range, even if they're, you know, they're a larger company, get one or two made, get used to the quality of them, make sure everything's right, get things photographed on websites, get people talking about it. And then when you're ready, order more. Uh, we'd much rather you order smaller orders but much more often so that everyone's cash flows in a better position no yeah, one's exactly. stock you know overprinting fabric that to us seems like a much a much better way of doing things and we're seeing our as a business our, our cash flow and things like that is much much more stable than than often it can be with within kind of the seasonal industry industry that we work in so so it seems to be just a better way of, of doing business for us at least yeah, because that's certainly one of the challenges that many manufacturers have, especially if they're working with small or new businesses, is people not paying them or not being able to pay them on time. What sort of yeah. payment terms do you work on? Do you make people pay up front or how, how does it work? Well, as of this financial year, as of this April, we have now changed. So we almost entirely take of the entire payment up front, unless it's yeah. a big order. And then we might do sort of a 50-50 split. So 50 up front, 50 on delivery. Uh, purely, we were finding it was never that anyone, anyone didn't pay. It was just we were finding payments coming in six months late and things like that. Um, and that just, it's just not sustainable. I mean, we, as, as a small business, our, our cash flows on that knife edge the whole time. So one yeah. payment like that can cause real, real trouble. But what we found is, uh, especially because with the ordering through the website as well, people are quite used to paying upfront for things now. And I don't think that as manufacturers, we should be scared of asking for that, especially for smaller orders. Uh, a lot of the printers that we work with, if you're placing an order online, you, you're paying upfront for it anyway. So people are getting used to that process. Yes, um, yeah, like they are anything. Otherwise, exactly. you're making products for someone and you're basically bankrolling them until they've sold the products. It's like the old sort of exactly. sale or return, but in reverse, isn't it? Completely, completely. And I, and I don't think we should, as an industry, be, be scared of shifting a model that improves people's cash flow position. If we can be moving to a model where a lot of the manufacturers are cash positive, uh, that, that's just going to make us all more stable. I think that's, that's a, good, a good place to be. And it is just kind of being brave about it. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. That's good that you're standing up and saying that. And I say that to manufacturers all the time. You know, you, you, you need to be charging up front because I have mm-hmm. seen over the last, you know, eight years since I've been doing Make It British, some really good manufacturers getting into trouble or having to close down purely because people haven't paid them on time. Well, that's exactly it. I, th- I think of all, all the manufacturers that we have seen sadly close down, and there, there have been a, a scary number of them over the last few years, it's all cash flow. It's always that thing. Yeah. That they've got enough work. Some of them have more than enough work, and they just can't get the numbers to work because they're working on a 30 or 60 or 90 day payment term and you just think that's crazy and then they're you know they're invoice financing it just it, it, it becomes a mess so quickly yeah so it's good that you're you're disrupting it and turning it all <laughs> on its head um, well hopefully yeah so that's well hopefully that's why we're still here it's been what sort of four years yeah. of this manufacturing now and we're still we're still growing steadily so fingers crossed it, it's working so what does the future hold what plans have you got for going forward I mean, we just we just want to be doing more of the same. We're we're looking at expanding the team quite rapidly. There's still plenty of work out there with the, with the sort of the base products we're 
we're, we're using. Uh, we're looking at adding in wholesale options as well because we know a lot of the people that we work with or, or would like to work with and want to work with us don't necessarily have fabric of their own. So if we can start offering up things that, that allow them to, to kind of, you know, get in the house ranges started for smaller retailers and things like that, that's definitely a, a big push for us. We would love to add more, more clothing into what we're doing as well. But that, of course, comes with a big, big investment in machinery and things like that. I mean, button holders and all the rest of it. Just yeah, getting exactly. into that. Uh, so that, that will be happening, but that will uh, probably be happening a bit slower. I mean, we would love to do our own brand. Uh, I was going to say, is it your own brand well. coming? It, it will be one day. Uh, we Again, we, we want to, that's not our focus at the moment. It, it's kind of, that's, it always seems like a bit of a vanity project for the pair of us. So so I think that will that'll be further down the line when, again, things are a bit more settled and we can afford, afford to do that, really. Yeah, yeah. It kind of, I can see, if, if, as you've both come from design backgrounds, it would seem like a logical step. But it sounds like you're really enjoying providing this service to other businesses. And that's fantastic because there are so few people doing that. What in what um, advice would you give someone who does who's listening to this who does think actually you know what maybe I want to become a small batch manufacturer but what would you have done differently Adam if you started again <laughs> that's, that's a very good question I, I would I would keep your offering as narrow as possible and that's probably the best way of putting it we, when we first started up we had we had no system in place so we were just saying we'll try anything we'll go through prototyping with you and do do kind of any work that comes along and that was probably the worst decision we ever made yes because yes. you just you spend you spend your time being inundated with requests for all sorts of stuff that's never um right for what, what you can do so if you can be very clear about where your skills lie what you're good at doing and then just pitch at that bit bit of the market. Um, I think you can be very very successful, but you have to be very very clear in your own head about you know what, what you what you want to take on and what you don't. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, there's a temptation to think, oh, you know, I'm, we're we're kind of desperate at the moment, so we'll take on someone who wants a load of silk dresses making, but really we exactly. don't have the, quite the expertise, and you end up losing money on it. So, well, that's exactly focus it. is the way. I mean, your website is so clear because you show all the products that you make really clearly, and I think that would also be a very good tip for any other small batch manufacturer starting out: is have a really clear website that it says exactly what you do, so that because I know so many manufacturers get calls from people, they're starting out in business and they want to make um, a product in the UK and they'll call they'll call a manufacturer and the manufacturer gets upset saying, well, I don't know why they've called me because we can't make that. But then they don't make that clear on their website because it will just say, we're a textile manufacturer. So it could be anything, <laughs> couldn't it, from, you know, industrial textiles right down to, uh, like you say, wash bags. I, I completely agree. And that's what we had. I mean, in the early days, we were getting sort of 10 emails a day asking for T-shirts. And then yep. you have that whole con that same conversation again, explaining what jersey is and telling people they need to speak to yep. someone who deals with stretch material and we can't process knitted materials like that. And then explaining that jersey's knitted and then that whole, and you just, yep. your whole day is just wasted doing that. So the, the, the more clear you can be, and we still do get those emails and there are still people that think we're a printer, which I don't quite understand, but it still happens. But then you um, send them on to BFAB. 
Exactly. And that, I mean, that's another good tip as well. If you, if you can start learning what other manufacturers do well and what the work they want to be doing, we pass work with other small manufacturers all the time. Um, and again, people were a bit taken aback when we started just sending them clients, but there was no point in us trying to do the work that they wanted. It was never going to be right. So we, you might as well have the work if that's what you yeah. do and you do it better than us. So if we can be a bit more kind of open as an industry, that does seem to help as well. Yeah, that's so true. Everyone's kind of used to hiding, you know, hiding away and not sharing. I mean, that's part of the reason I set up the Make It British event Absolutely. is because I wanted to bring all the industry together because I was aware that, you know, the printers didn't know where the garment manufacturers were or the bag makers were, and I wanted everyone to, to come together. And, and that seems to have... To have um, has actually, you know, has actually happened. And we're now getting people, we get, I think we get a lot of our exhibitors coming to the show to network mm. with each other more than Completely. anything else. Well, that, I mean, that's almost just as other. important. Yeah, just to, yeah. just as, to meet other people and, and, and also just feel like you're not alone. I know that sounds really daft, but all the challenges that we're all having are usually the same, almost regardless of scale. And it, it's just nice to, to be in a room yeah. with people that get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, finally, Adam, yes. I've got to draw attention to your fantastic diagram on your website. Um, I think it's called the Circular... Oh, circular yes. business model diagram which really clearly shows and i oh, will put you. a copy of it in the show notes but i think i should draw people's attention to it because if only more manufacturers made it really clear okay this is how it all works this is when you need to send us your fabric this is when we're going to sew it this is when we need your zips it's brilliant whose idea was that well, it, it was an interesting one. We, we were involved in a, it. was a European funded project looking at circular economy models around uh, around the UK, around the around Europe, in fact. And they spoke to us. And there's a little video online, which I can send the links over to you as well. It's very, very dry, but it kind of talks about some of these ideas. And we started trying to then, they have this visualization, which was quite similar. And, and we decided to kind of just sit down and map why, why we think it's circular, because there's still a lot of debate about what circular business is and what that means within the circular economy. So that was just us trying to visualize what it was we did. Um, and of course, my, I used to work as a graphic designer as well. So the infographic thing just kind of uh, fell out of that. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> it's, it's genius. It really is because oh, it explains to everyone um, when everything needs to turn up in the supply chain and what they need to do. Because I think if you're new to manufacturing, it is quite difficult to grasp what the whole production process is and why Absolutely. your products are not turning up on time because your labels haven't turned up before they've started making it. Because I suppose you'd naturally think, oh, well, the labels go in at the end, but a manufacturer won't start until unless they've got them and completely. stuff like that. Yes, completely. It is. It's just it, we, manufacturing, I think, for a lot of people is such a distant thing. No one's used to kind of... Um, it's not around people in the same way it was for a lot of communities. And I think the more we can kind of show people how it works, it kind of takes a lot of that confusion confusion away, really, or hopefully it does anyway, uh, and yeah, makes those communications brilliant. easier. Because, I mean, as you say, I, I know so many manufacturers and ourselves get so frustrated with having to have a lot of the com same conversations uh, with people. And you realize it's because that information is not there and because people just aren't used to seeing it. So yeah. we, need to, we need to put it out there, really. And what do you do? Do you do with things like um, waste material, waste fabric? Because in manufacturing, there's always going to be offcuts, or is of, there? Have you managed to get around that with your clients? Because if they're sending you some printed fabric, which is their design or their or their woven fabric, and every mm. single meter, an inch of that fabric has cost them money to make. 
How do you end up saving them material and saving waste? Well, this is a big, big challenge. And what we've always said is that we try and minimise it rather than get rid of it completely, because there's no way you're ever going to get rid of it completely if you're making products that are functional. I think that's the right. best way of putting it. There are, we, so there's some amazing zero-waste pattern cutting out there, but it seems to always... It's as soon as you, you want a garment that could work in a lot of fabrics or you want pocket bags or anything like that, it's, you start getting bits of waste. But the, the thing we do is any usable waste will send back to the client. So along with your products, you get a big bag of everything that's left over. So you're very Brilliant. aware of how much fabric you're wasting. Um, and then anything that isn't copyrighted, for example, like the weaves and the prints would be any sort of base fabrics. Uh, we try and give as much of that usable stuff away, either to local uh, community groups, art groups. Uh, schools and things like that and then the smallest bits we do have to throw away sadly um, and that's another thing we're campaigning for is some sort of system in the UK to deal with that more effectively uh, at present we're not even really burning it to make energy or anything like that which is yeah. like the base the base requirement really for recycling so it does end up going into to landfill and we're just trying to pick out what what the best approach for that is but uh, i mean some sort of you know recycling plant for textiles would be would be fantastic but we're just not quite quite there yet but it's something we're kind of working it's an ongoing thing we're working with yeah. and the other thing we're yeah. trying to do and i think it's really key especially with the the printers is trying to make fabric requirements as clear before you order so there is a calculator on our website where you put in the product yeah i've seen that yeah Brilliant. and it should tell you exactly how much fabric you need within a certain margin so because what we were finding was people were printing the fabric and then working out what they could get from it or, or guessing. <laughs> and that was Oh, and then sending new. you too much. Yes. I mean, they'd say that it was an order they needed four metres of material. We were getting eight or nine metres. Um, and then they didn't have the cash flow to then deal, to make anything from the rest of it. So then they were just sat on that, what was essentially waste material, and they didn't need to produce it in the first place. So we've yes. been trying to stop that waste before it's even waste, if that makes sense. Which uh, you can do as well with things like digital printing now, can't you? Because exactly. you can print as small as one metre. Exactly. So you don't so, you don't need to be mm. overproducing in the same way. It's, uh, yeah, so if we can just be knocking that out of the system seems to be a good place to start. Brilliant. Brilliant. Adam, that was absolutely fantastic. Really interesting. Oh, um, there's so many little gems that you've provided there to our listeners. Oh, I'm, there's quite a few links that I'm going to put in the show notes to sure, things like sure. your, um, your, your fantastic diagram oh, showing how the whole business model works in production. Um, oh, and also the link to your website, which is collective.com, isn't it? That is the one, yep. Fantastic. And we will see you at Make It British Live on the 29th and 30th of May. Oh, fantastic. We're really looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me a, just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.